Hello and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, coming to you from two SER studios in Sydney on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. Broadcast right around Australia on the Community Radio Network and around the world, wherever you get your podcasts. Each week, we take a closer look at the business issues making up the news. This program is made possible by the assistance of the UTS Business School. Over the last few months, we've seen a steady rise in interest rates that has many potential buyers hoping for a softening of the market and better housing affordability. At the same time, the New South Wales government has announced a reform to stamp duty, which gives first home buyers the option to opt out of stamp duty and into an annual tax. Today on the show, we're exploring stamp duty as an impediment to property purchasing and how the New South Wales government's new policy might affect housing affordability. Returning to the show to help us dissect this important topic is Harry Schuler, Professor of Finance at the University of Technology, Sydney, and Simon Presley, Founder and Head of Property Market Research at Propertyology. Harry, Simon, thanks so much once again for joining me on Think Business Futures. Pleasure, Stefan. Thanks, Stefan. A lot of happened since we last spoke. I know, absolutely. I was looking back to see when the last chat was. It was in May and it was uh, a conversation titled Myth-Busting Housing Affordability. We looked at the potential impact of interest rates on the housing market and housing affordability. Simon, to get us started, let's quickly zip through what's happened since our last conversation in May in terms of both the interest rate rises and how the markets responded. Yeah, um, the the biggest change is is more sentiment rather than uh, uh, property market fundamentals or financial fracture. You know, we said right from the outset of the commencement of the interest rate rising cycle that um, Australian household budgets have never been stronger. But buyers are definitely sitting on on their hands. There's not this you know forced sales and mortgage stress like a lot of media commentary has suggested it's complete rubbish to, to be honest but there's a the, the confidence piece is missing contrary to the, the the mainstream media property prices aren't declining everywhere um, they're going backwards um, in our two biggest cities but that's not a crash I think Sydney's probably seen about seven percent decline this calendar year after 20 percent growth last calendar year most of Australia property prices are still rising understandably not at the 20 to 30 percent annual growth pace that we saw in 2021 but more at a, a more normal level somewhere between a normal market is sort of two to seven percent per year large parts of australia are indeed performing at normal rates of growth right now contrary to what people are reading yeah it's interesting it's it's definitely interesting to to see and i think confidence is is a big part is, is the sort of key point that you you said there um Harry, last time we spoke, we identified stamp duty as an impediment to purchasing a home, along with raising a a, a deposit. Can we just reiterate for people here how stamp duty really does affect housing affordability in the context of Australia and and in particular New South Wales? Well, um, if you buy a home, um, you have to pay 5% in stamp duty uh, of the uh, purchase price. And so uh, people have to pay on top of the house price, uh, the 5%. Uh, so for instance, if you buy a home for a million dollars, you have to pay $50,000 in stamp duty. And so that makes a uh, uh, property uh, more expensive. And of course, especially for young people, uh, 5% is $50,000 is a lot of money, which uh, some people struggle to pay. Mm, absolutely. I'm interested, Harry, 
you're you're coming to us from Germany at the moment. Is there a stamp duty or or the equivalent where you are? Yes, uh, Germany is a quite interesting example, and some other European countries too. There's a similar discussion ongoing. They do have a something similar to a stamp duty, which is uh, although smaller in size, and they are also currently um, reassessing a land tax uh, scheme uh, that used to be uh, based on very old-fashioned values, and now we are um, slowly migrating to to a more modern system, which uh, includes uh, current market values of properties. Mm, interesting. Okay. Well, the same uh, the same pressures and the same conversations being had all the way on the other side of the world where you are in Germany. Simon, stamp duty is a state tax. Let's talk about, we're going to talk about New South Wales specifically more so today, but how does the New South Wales stamp duty system stack up as compared to other states and territories? Yes, well, as, as a nation, um, last financial year, our state governments, which obviously includes New South Wales, $24 billion dollars they raised from stamp duty, property tax. So you're know, talking about uh, barriers to entry for buying a property, whether it's your first property or you're upgrading or whatever, $24 billion. So there's the, these competing interests here, specific to New South Wales, it's just under $10 billion that the state government generated last year from people transacting in real estate. So if stamp duty is to be replaced uh, or scrapped, that $24 billion is what funds all the you know, hospitals and train stations, um, you know, big infrastructure stuff um, uh, throughout the state of New South Wales. So this is why I guess stamp duty is still here. It's not just as easy as let's get rid of it and remove that barrier to help someone um, purchase a property. It needs to be replaced by something. Mm. And that's exactly what the New South Wales government have tried to do in their June uh, announcement of their so-called first home by a choice scheme. Harry, do you want to take us through how this scheme works, how it uh, attempts to address the impediment of stamp duty when getting into your first home? Right. Maybe uh, a bit more general. Uh, let's um, just compare maybe stamp duty and land tax uh, for a second to see the differences and what uh, migration from stamp duty uh, to land tax uh, could do. So at, at the moment, um, land tax, uh, one has to know that there is land tax in Australia, um, but many, many Australians uh, or people in New South Wales are exempt from land tax uh, for two reasons. The first reason is because the property is um, below a threshold value. And I don't know, I remember the exact value, it's about seven hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars and then the second reason is because they are living in their own home. So um, owner-occupied properties um, uh, do not have a, a land tax uh, associated. And so um, this is why people might live in, in very expensive homes, um, particularly in Sydney, um, but not pay any land tax. And of course, um, uh, if they were to be charged with land tax, with a more general land tax that, is, uh, uh, that everyone has to carry, then a lot of people in expensive homes would be very disappointed. Another uh, another um, difference is um, stamp duty is a one-off uh, tax, and as Simon rightly has pointed out, it's a it's a huge uh, revenue for the state. Uh, it uh, only is incurred uh, or paid uh, at at the purchase of a property, but there's one aspect at the moment that it's that it's really you know uh, conducive to all uh, the discussion is um, whilst property prices have not deteriorated much purchase volumes or the, the houses sold volumes have come down. And so with that, the uh, tax revenue um, 
in New South Wales, uh, Sydney and Melbourne, we said uh, are most affected, um, has probably halved um, compared to prior volumes. And so this is a trend that we might continue to see. Uh, I also should point out today is an important day because the uh, cash target rate in Australia was raised by another 50 basis points to 2.35%. Uh, and whilst there's no impact on delinquencies and all that, there's a huge impact on lending volumes. Banks do take into account interest rates uh, when making lending decisions. They look at current interest rates. They add another 2.5% uh, to assess the serviceability of borrowers. And with that, um, many uh, borrowers um, are offered much lower lending volumes than they were before the um, the series of interest rates started uh, in, in early May. So we are now in the fifth uh, interest increase to 2.35%. We're likely to see more. And with that, the lending volumes are coming down from the banks. With that, people have less firepower to uh, go to auction, to buy properties. Sellers currently are not happy with the situation. They, 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 uh, less volume enters the market if that trend continues. Then also the governments will earn less money through stamp duty. And that would be a perhaps perfect environment to shift to a more sustainable tax revenue. Because from the government's end, uh, this tax revenue is very cyclical. In good times, the governments are showered with money, with tax revenue. Uh, in bad times, they have hardly anything and struggle to meet their expenditures. You know, uh, what's better to change the tax system in bad times? Mm, absolutely. All right, Simon. Well, why don't you give us the nuts and bolts of the New South Wales government's first home buy a choice scheme? Yeah, so let's say the stereotypical property in New South Wales um, was worth, let's call it a million dollars. Stamp duty on that um, would be about $43,000, something like that. So um, for someone, for an existing homeowner who's looking to upgrade, they still got to pay that stamp duty as well, but they've probably got some equity in the existing home that they can raise that $43,000 from. So if it's your first property, You've got to save you five or ten percent deposit or whatever it is, plus forty-three thousand dollars. The New South Wales government—they need to be applauded because they're the first government to say we're going to trial something that others haven't. I don't know the exact specifics, but let, let's say it's forty-three thousand dollars as one upfront payment under the current stamp duty scheme. Instead of that, that first home buyer would pay an annual tax of a much smaller amount. So they still have to save their deposit. They buy the home now. But let's say for, for, for argument's sake, they've got to find an extra $4,000 every year as a land tax to the state government. So replacing one big payment of $43,000 with an annual payment of let's call it $4,000. Now, that's great for someone who wants to enter the market because they can enter now instead of however, however long it takes to save the extra $43,000. The flip side of that is, once you pay that big, hefty, upfront one payment, that's it. Now, if you live in that property for 20 years, you never have to pay any tax to the government again. Mm. Under this new scheme, you could be paying $4,000 or whatever it is per year in this, using this scenario for the next 20 years. So you'll end up paying a lot more money over time than, you, than what you would have for that one upfront payment. So the first time buyer, they might not mind that because they still entered the market earlier. But if this scheme gets rolled out for all property buyers, let's imagine you are the retiree. So you've sold your home. You still need a home. So you've down, downsized, but you're still going to find the $40,000 um, stamp duty under the original scheme. Under the new scheme, you've now got to find $4,000 every year. If you've entered retirement and you haven't invested much, a lot of retirees are going to struggle finding that extra 
$4,000 per year. So it's a really tricky situation for state governments. It's all fine in theory to say, abolish the big upfront payment with an annual ongoing thing. Not everyone's going to win from this. Mm. Simon, have you had a look at uh, how long first home buyers keep their first home for and how that sort of maps on to the maths when it comes to deciding whether or not you're going to pay stamp duty or this sort of perpetual land tax? No, there's no official data for that. But what we what we do know, I guess, anecdotally is the first home for any of us is 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 very rarely a dream home, is it? You know, it's mm. it's it's just an entry into the market. You know, and, and often uh, our family structure changes. Let's imagine, you know, you're buying that first home and you've just recently got married and you haven't got kids yet, but over time you you, you get kids, um, and then as young children become adults, um, two bedrooms, um, you know, for three kids isn't enough the adolescents each want their own so people move all the time as their life as their life changes so um the younger person are probably you know i'm going to guess this age uh, or time frame for you Stefan. it might be five or six years before they outgrow it and want to move again whereas someone in their 40s um are probably more close probably closer to the, to their dream home and mm. likely to stay in that property longer yeah, a, a good guess is if you if you live in a neighborhood, uh, you just look into to your neighbors and ask yourself what's the average uh, turnaround or uh, flipping time of properties. And, yeah. You know, uh, if you are in a more student type environments, it might be very short lived, one or two years. And if you well, go overall the, for uh, all property owners, exactly. um, whether you're a first home buyer or anything else, it's about seven to eight years is the average time frame that a that a property mm. is held. But as I said, the older you are, the probably the, the longer you'll live in that property for. Mm. Mm. And, and that's also a big benefit of uh, a land tax versus a stamp duty system, perhaps um, the flexibility. So because people are pay as you go or paying as you go, or they go as they go, um, they um, are more flexible because they, they do not have this upfront 5% investment. And uh, Simon mentioned many uh, uh, points of flexibility. He said, um, you know, uh, going up the property level, a ladder where you buy a little property to start with and then you increase your investment as you go along. But also life cycles, um, um, you know, you get married, you have kids, you need a big property, then uh, they leave you at some stage and, and then you need a smaller property. Whereas at the moment, all the old people, they're sitting in uh, five plus bedroom mansions uh, uh, without uh, needing it, uh, building in elevators and all sorts of uh, equipment to get them from one room to another. It would be much more efficient for an economist uh, were they to move in, in more suitable, age suitable uh, premises. And then last but not least, Australia is a flexible country. We have a country of migrants and we all move, many of us move between uh, the capital cities. Um, I, I personally have lived in, in Melbourne and then moved to Sydney. And, and um, of course, if you change uh, work, then you need to change often the place you live in. It is our society that is flexible and, and um, moving to a you know less upfront investment type of environment with our housing would make people much more um, deployable, uh, who knows? If mining is cool, we move all move to Perth. And if it is uh, finance, we go to Sydney. And if it's, you know, <laughs> uh, doing other things, we go to Melbourne or Brisbane. And it really st stamp duty limits mobility. I, I think the stamp duty discussion, which we've debated in this country for 20 years, is predominantly being dominated um, from the perspective of the first home buyer. And it is a definite hurdle to get that first foot in the property ladder, but it affects everybody. When, when you, it, it's all well and good if you already are, um, are a homeowner, but you're looking to move, we should be encouraging people 
who are financially disciplined and can um, afford to buy that bigger home because their family's grown or you know the, they've moved up the career path they're on a higher salary now they, they they can afford to pay the bigger mortgage on a nicer home but they're still going to come up with for some people it's a hundred thousand dollars stamp duty so it, it becomes a deterrent for for mobility um job creation is an important thing especially now you know federal governments locked themselves in in canberra last week having a job summit um talking about what are we going to do we've got five hundred thousand jobs advertised in australia today but no skills to fill them there are actually plenty of people who've seen jobs advertised in different cities to where they're currently living they want to move to take up some of these positions but they can't get a property they can't afford the the stamp duty um we've got a national rental crisis the worst crisis in 230 year history stamp duty is just a, as big a barrier for an investor who can add a property to the rental pool as as it is a barrier for the first home buyer so it affects anybody who transacts in in real estate and it needs to be looked at from all of those angles mm. um, I, I would have an, uh, a question also to simon because simon is, is a true ex property expert and whenever governments change things and you know we, we today we saw uh, uh, the change from stamp duty to land tax can be positive or negative it has both sides uh, but often people say you know if you make property cheaper be it for taxation be it through cheaper access to finance um, um, uh, increasing supply then really uh, often what it does is um, it bids up prices so for example if we drop the taxes today for stamp duty people have five percent extra more to buy at the auction and the auction processes might end up in higher property prices so is there a way to 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 assess the impact like are we just increasing property prices without providing better housing affordability to young is that a risk or is it um do they really then have more money to to yeah it's a great question homes? so um, the number one, you know, property markets are very complicated, but if we summarise it for, for our listeners, wherever there's more buyers, there'll be more mm. competition and more competition forces asset values up. So any initiative that's done that um, helps the segment of the Australian population, that creates more buyers. So in this instance, if we, whether it's all buyers or whether it's just first-time buyers, if we do something such as change the stamp duty policy and replace it with an annual tax you know a smaller bill each year rather than that one big bill that's great in one respect um, because you're helping more people get into the market by removing barriers but you're also creating more buyers and more buyers will force asset values up there's more good than than bad with asset values going up though um for every you know um 10 dwellings anywhere in australia today seven of them are occupied by the owner it will be their most valuable asset so i would think you know, the scales are heavily tipped in the favour of if asset values change, we want to see them going up, not going down. Mm. You you sort of mentioned earlier, Harry, that it, that it is a good opportunity to try new things. We're sort of staring down the barrel of increased interest rates moving right into you know the back end of next year, potentially. Do you think that perhaps... The fact that we've introduced this now, you mentioned, you know, it'll put upward pressure on the market, but the fact that we're staring down the barrel of more interest rate hikes and inflation continues and that sort of thing, we have, or the New South Wales government have, have timed it well to try something new? Yeah, perhaps, yeah. And it's, it's, again, um, it's, a, it's a trial because, as Simon said earlier, it's not um, affects the whole population of New South Wales, the new rules. It's um, uh, mainly uh, young people who are investing in... Um, uh, cheaper properties um so there are thresholds to to um who has the uh, option mm. 
And also they uh, are not forced to, to go for land tax. They have an option so they can decide, do they want to pay upfront or do they want to pay as they go? And also what's very important in the discussion is uh, if they were to sell the property later down the road, the, uh, the new buyer um, again has the option uh, for either or back, uh, by then we might have a different um, uh, regime, uh, different rules and then they then apply. So the scheme might affect a, a proportion of the population. It might be five to 15% of the new properties purchased. Uh, and then again, only the ones who buy a new property, um, not the existing uh, homeowners. And so with that, um, it's, it's a trial. Um, and, and, you know, we've had the discussion for many years. Um, uh, I think someone said 20 years <laughs> where it was uh, on, on the desk of politicians. And I think it's, it's a trial period. Um, and it could be rolled out. Um, they tried to do a big, a big uh, implementation of a, a scheme like that when the current premier of New South Wales was uh, the treasurer and um, they discarded it. And, and a big issue was it was a too big step and there were too many stakes and opinions. And uh, it's perhaps better to try it in small steps, see what happens. And if it doesn't work, then uh, one can uh, easier rewind it because a lot of these changes, they also have impacts on people being disappointed um, because they purchase into a scheme that didn't turn out to be so good. Uh, then often you need to have grandfathering rules and, and um, it gets really complicated. And so with that, uh, going a small step, see how it works, um, we avoid a lot of costs and frictions that may come about if it doesn't work. Mm. Simon, you did mention investors earlier and how this will not be available to investors. Do you do you think that there's an issue when we look at property in general? We've got a we've got a crisis, a rental crisis, yet. Government policy and a lot of what's going on in the media is focused on first home buyers and allowing people to get into the market and housing affordability in that sense. Are we missing a trick not talking about investors and first home buyers and all the people that want to buy a home for, for whatever reason in the same conversation and potentially you know, expanding these types of reforms to a broader segment of the population? Absolutely, we are. I mean, we could uh, dedicate a whole episode just to that one awesome question, Stefan. But we've created, um, sadly, through politicians, we've created a, a toxic culture of an us versus them. You know, those who own a property and those who don't own a property. What happened to we? One's aspiration to acquire a nicer home is just as important as one's aspiration to acquire their first home. And it's just as important for one's aspiration to uh, buy a home that someone else uses to, you know, I, I guess avoid becoming a burden to the taxpayer by the way of funding an age pension used in the track. All these things are just as important, but um, yeah, we've, we've really lost their way in, in this country with too many policies that segregate each other and create this us, us versus them mentality. The rental crisis that we have now is easily the worst housing crisis this country has ever seen in our 230 years existence. It's it's shameful. A country that has arguably more land than any other country in the world and more wealth than any other country in the world, and anyone who wants to rent has got no homes. We should be embarrassed by that. And 91% of all rental properties in Australia today are owned by the everyday Aussie. Governments only own 9% of our rental stock. And that number has reduced. Unbeknownst to Australians, particularly state governments, they've been selling off their rental property assets Collectively, there are less than 300,000 rental properties in Australia owned by governments today. 30 years ago, governments owned 400,000 dwellings. So they've sold off 100,000 dwellings over 30 years 
during a period when their population is growing by 8 million people. Go mm. Governments are doing nothing to help the rental situation. They've caused the crisis that we're in. Mm. Harry, any thoughts of that before we wrap up? Yeah, um, maybe just um, uh, there are um, other ingredients. Um, taxation is clearly one aspect, and we talked about it today. And perhaps for our next session, you know, uh, sometime, uh, there are many other aspects of housing affordability. And you know, to Simon's point, for example, infrastructure, building a good infrastructure that leads to new land, um, um, that where we can build new properties, would be one. There are also frictions in the banking world. Um, uh, banks uh, lending uh, to property owners is not efficient. It's uh, heavily disadvantages young people because of minimum lending uh, criteria. And last but not least, there's also um, the way we define property and ownership of property. There are some good ideas mainly coming out of Melbourne, um, I noticed, uh, where, um, uh, for example, in, in new innovative ideas for ownership could be explored. And all of that, um, maybe a combination, a portfolio of all, all these measures could help Australia to increase housing affordability. Mm. Simon, any final thoughts on you know, some small uh, bits and pieces we could be looking at to, to help with this housing affordability problem and, and, yeah, the rental crisis as we've identified? I think this, the New South Wales state government, um, yeah, however it unfolds, they need to be complimented for having the courage to try something that no other government has. And I hope that every other state government and, fed, and, um, and federally we're looking at this and picking it to bits because there's a solution there somewhere. But as our listeners today have seen, there's lots and lots of things to consider here. Stamp duty is a barrier for human movement, whether you are a first home buyer or, or, or anything else. But I think more important, time needs to be spent reviewing a lot of poor property policies that affect the rental side of things. We are, I believe, less than 12 months away from becoming a global embarrassment Within 12 months, we will have hundreds of thousands of Australians living in makeshift accommodation. I'm referring to cars and garages and caravans. Within a year, we will have hundreds of thousands of people in that situation, not because they don't have a job or because they're a bad tenant, because there's not enough rental accommodation. Mm. It is a massive issue. Uh... You know, I remember what it was like coming up through uni and, and things like that. I can't even imagine what it's like for a uni student trying to find accommodation these days. Uh, I went to uni in Wollongong and still live down there and I don't know how the students do it. It's a uni town, you know, and then and then you and then you talk about the rest of the population. Um, I, I smell another an, another podcast somewhere down the track, uh, focusing more on the on this rental crisis. But uh, stamp duty is on the table at the moment and I guess we're waiting with bated breath to see how it unfolds and how the market will be affected whether or not it will benefit sort of more people than it doesn't and as you mentioned Simon got to compliment the New South Wales government for at least trying something uh, it's been it's been a great chat and as always, it's it, it's great to get you on and get both your thoughts uh, on housing, on housing affordability and what's going on in the market. Simon and Harry, thank you so much for joining me once again on Think Business Futures. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Think Business Futures. Thank you to my guests, Harry Schuler and Simon Presley. You can listen and share this chat wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to get Think Business Futures in your feed each week and please support the show by leaving a review. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, and I'll see you again somewhere in the world of business next week.